To answer is human. To question is divine. Welcome to the world of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? Can our mind influence what we term as reality? Providing a transcendental approach, combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests. This is the unseen world, magical, mysterious, and mystical, where your only limitation is your imagination. This is The Hidden Gateway. Welcome to another episode of The Hidden Gateway Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Williams, and today's guest is Michael Shaw. Michael is a mountaineer, entrepreneur, and storyteller. In fact, in 2012, he and his wife undertook an expedition deep in the Himalaya of northern Nepal into a remote valley that had been closed off to outsiders for decades. What unfolded in the mountains forced him to question his values and his own identity and eventually resulted in meeting a little girl, which was the most profound encounter of his life. Little did either of them know that from that moment, they would completely change the trajectory of each other's life. In fact, in 2020, Michael wrote a book about his experience, and we're definitely so happy to have you with us on the Hidden Gateway podcast. Michael, how are you doing, sir? Awesome, Justin. Yeah, thank you so much for that that intro, by the way. <laughs> Very kind words. Of you. And, and, and just, just stoked to be here and excited to be on the show here with you. All right, man. So, hey, you know, I, I definitely want to get into the book, but I, I want to, you know, I want to learn some about you, man. Where, where are you from? Canada, yes? Yeah, yeah, from Canada. Uh, for those of you who have been to Canada, um, I'm on the West Coast. So this city called Vancouver, and we're just about, my wife Chantal and I, we're about 45 minutes north of that in this little mountain community. Uh, it's got the ocean, you know, the, the rivers, the forests, the mountains are all right here. So it's kind of an outdoor recreation capital of, um, of Canada. And so this is where we make our, what we call our base camp. And from here, we can basically do any adventure we, uh, we like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, did you grow up in that area or did you relocate there once you became of age? Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, so I grew up in this, actually, this little sort of farming community. Um, and uh, it's on an island, like Vancouver Island. It was, and at that time, it's changed a lot now since then. But when I was growing up at that time, it was like this sleepy little farming community and, and my, my parents, I, I kind of have this multicultural background, right? Because my father, he immigrated to Canada um, from Germany. And my mom, she was born in Macau, which used to be like this little Portuguese colony off the coast of uh, Hong Kong there. So she, she kind of um, was born there. She grew up in Hong Kong, you know, and, and then she came to, to Canada when she was in her 20s. And, and so then they met here. And so they, they found their way to the, into that little sleeping or sleepy uh, farming community. And that's where I was born and raised. And um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, things have changed obviously now, but at the time when I grew up there, it was, uh, yeah, it was very sort of, yeah, kind of like 
blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, community of, oh, you know, white predominantly. And, um, and uh, you know, people would always ask me, like, Mike, why are you always tanned? And, like, why is your mom speaking so funny like that? And, and so it was like, um, but now, of course, yeah, things are totally different. But it was kind of interesting growing up at that time because just recognizing that, um, yeah, that I came from a, you know, more of a, you know, I guess, multicultural background and, and that sort of sparked an interest in travel and, and just getting out there and seeing different parts of the world and, and, and just being open to different cultures and that sort of thing. And I think that informed a lot of, uh, of who I am and, and, and kind of the decisions I made later on in life, particularly with this, this little family, I guess we'll get into uh, at some point here, um, this little family in Nepal in the, in the middle of the Himalaya. Uh, so I think it was kind of conducive to kind of opening that relationship, relationship up a little bit more. Wow. Okay. Okay. So now you said your your, your dad was from Germany mm-hmm. and your mom from Hong Kong. So obviously two different areas <laughs> of the world. What, what was that like growing up with your dad's background and values and your mom's and, and those two, those two coming together, man? What, what was your experience like growing up? How how were you raised? What were you? Did you go to church? Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that the what we ate all the time was there was never a dull moment. <laughs> the foods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never knew what you were going to get for dinner. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was quite fascinating. I mean, that was the only way I knew, right. I didn't have any other experience any other way, but it was, um, yeah, I, I guess my dad was, um, my, my dad was a, you know, he was a traveler, right. He loved to travel. He loved the outdoors as well. So he, he would take us, we used to have one of those campers, you know, you could pop the top up. Um, and we, we, we'd sort of travel around all of North America in that thing. And, and with my sister and I, and, and we'd go to the, you know, Yosemite and, you know, Arizona and Utah and down the Oregon coast and all these different places, the Rockies. And, and so I kind of like from a very young age, I didn't, I don't think I appreciated it back then as much, but, you know, looking back now, I, I kind of, uh, I think that's what really sort of helped me connect to nature and just sort of you know, have nature as a part of my life. I don't think I could live, you know, without that connection. Right. So that's kind of what was um, cultivating that value in me. And, and then, uh, like I mentioned, it's kind of, you know, with my, my mom was always, uh, you know, if you ever meet my mom, I don't know if you will, but, <laughs> but she's, she's a tiny thing. She, you know, she's five foot two or something and, and just a fighter, you know, just like she, she, she just wow. goes for it. And, and she, um, you know, the odds were stacked against her when she, you know, it wanted to even immigrate to Canada and, um, and, you know, right. just try to make a career here and stuff like that. It's a totally different world at that time. Right. So, um, yeah. but she, she did it. Right. And, uh, and I think that's always really, you know, hit me close in my heart, like in terms of, you know, the fire that she has and just like her fighting spirit, right. you know, I kind of, I kind of carry that, you know, in, in me wherever I go. Yes. Yes, you do, man. Yes, you do. That's why I told you before we start recording, man, you had this great energy about you, man. And it just, it comes through, man. So that's awesome. So, uh, you know, let's get into this book, man. A mm. Story of Karma. Uh, you know, Story of Karma. I, I received the book, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Story of Karma. It's it's totally different from what I expected, man. <laughs> and it, it, it's beautiful, man. Like like, tell me, let, let's. Hey, what do you have to say about it, man? I mean. Um, the experience you had is just just unbelievable, man. Well, just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it changed. It effectively changed my entire life. I mean, both my life and, and my wife Chantal's life, and 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 the family there, the karma herself, like this little girl in, in the Himalaya, changed her life, her families, and and everyone that she's you know touched, and her family has touched, you know, just through this story. Um, just um, yeah, no, I, I could have never dreamed that this would have happened. Uh, we went to Nepal initially. We went to Nepal because um, there was this 
Well, if I back up a couple steps, I mean, first of all, Nepal has always been this place that I, I wanted to visit since I was a kid. And, uh, and I remember my, my sister once, she gave me this Lonely Planet book when I was like, a, you know, 15 or something. And, and, uh, and I just remember I was like tearing through the pages fast. I couldn't even read anything. I was just going through the pages, like looking at the pictures of the people and the mountains and the, and the culture and, you know, all of that. And, and I just, all I could think about was I got to get over there as fast as possible. And um, but, name, huh? what's, what's that? It was calling your name. It was, it was, call, it was calling me. It was call, calling me yeah. at the very soul level, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, But it wasn't until my early 30s that I finally made it there because, um, you know, partly I didn't have the funds when I was younger and, you know, and then kind of working on my career when I was, you know, in my early 20s and stuff like that, mid-20s. And so I didn't have the time. Um, and, and part of it, too, I, I wasn't really – I didn't really know where I wanted to go. Like, you know, what did I want to do when I got over there, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so one day we sat down with this friend um, – who had been trekking through Nepal for, for 20 years and he into some of the most obscure places, uh, some of the most like offshoots and, you know, off the beaten path. And, and I was sharing with him about my love for Nepal and just my dream of going there. This is back in, in 2011. And uh, his name is Mick. And Mick said, um, said, Mike, I got to, I got to tell you about the lost Valley of Narfu. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like where? What is this? Something out of Indiana Jones, or what are we talking about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so he um, he told me about this little place, um, this valley that had just only been opened up a few years before that. Prior to that, it had been closed off to the entire world. Um, yeah, the people there had been living the same way that they'd been living for hundreds of years, and um, he was showing me some of the pictures. And I thought, wow, I mean, the pictures that I'm seeing here are are just like the pictures that I saw in that Lonely Planet book when I was a kid, when my sister gave me wow. that book. Right. And um, yeah, so I, I just thought, you know, this is the place. And and uh, and then he told, and, and Chantal was there and we were talking about it and we said, okay, well, we should put like a little team together because Mick said, um, you know, this place is going to be experiencing unprecedented change now that it had been opened up, uh, you know, cultural, social change and that sort of thing. So we thought, well, let's put a little group of um of artists together, you know, a photographer, a musician, uh, a nature artist, and we'll try and like, you know, sort of capture, you know, we'll learn and observe from the people, but we'll capture a moment in time um, before it changes too much. And, um, and then, so that's kind of the intention that we went there with. Um, but then I came across this picture of this pyramid mountain. It looked literally like a white pyramid that coming out of the earth. And, uh, and I thought as a mountaineering fanatic, I just thought, I, I've got to go and find this mountain and try and climb it. And so that kind of took over, you know, in terms of a personal objective. But, um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the, the whole spark that led us to, to go there back in 2012. Wow, man. Okay. Okay. So what led you to tell me about how long after you were there? Well, first of all, I want to know, did you think you were going to write this book going through this experience? I, I, I had no idea. No, I had no intention of writing a book or writing a story about it. I didn't even know what was going to happen when we got to Nepal. But um, yeah, it wasn't until 20, I think I started writing the book in 20, what year was that? 20, 2017 or something like that. So several years later. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until... Um, uh, well, we went, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit more background. So when we got to this valley, uh, I mean, it, you know, you got to imagine, it felt like we were time travelers. It felt like we were stepping back into the 17th century or something. We got wow. into these little villages, two main villages in this valley. 
and um, and you know several days of trekking to get to even get to the valley. Um, the villages are at like fourteen thousand feet in elevation, so very hard, very harsh conditions. Very out there in the mountains, you have to cross these high mountain passes to get there. And the people who live there are, are semi-nomadic, so they move with the seasons. Um, you know, they they're kind of self-sufficient at that time. They at that time there was no electricity, no toilets, even no um, you know no access to books or or anything like that. Um, just their their village was their world, right? Um, right. Yeah. So, so we were out there and, um, and that's kind of the staging ground where I was trying to find this mountain. And, and I finally found the mountain after, you know, several days. And, and, and that's also where things started kind of spiraling out of control because, um, yeah, just things started falling apart. I, I got caught in a snowstorm at 17,000 feet and, and the mule that was carrying my climbing gear took off on me and ran away. And, and so all these things were coming, coming apart. And I thought, you know, I just have to kind of, all I could do was kind of hunker down in that right. little village and just sort of figure out, you know, why is my dream of climbing this mountain, you know, kind of being crushed in, in front of me. Right. Um, and so I kind of went through a bit of a, uh, I guess an identity crisis and, and just had to question, you know, why, if I'm not here to climb this mountain, why am I here in the Himalaya? And, okay. um, and so that's kind of what, um, yeah, that kind of pulled the whole journey into a totally different direction. But I, I could have never forecasted that um, at that time. So the book actually came. Yeah, the idea for the book came came many years later. Wow. So you were you start having all these issues and you start to question that. What was it that propelled you in a different direction? And what was it that you had to deal with inside? Mm. Did you have to look for a certain strength? Because obviously you had this goal in mind, but then at some point you had to pivot, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was, uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, when we have this idea about our life, you know, where our life should be or what we should be doing, and then that suddenly at some point gets questioned uh, for some reason or gets blocked, um, then we have to kind of figure out, we have to sort of stop and then step back and say, okay, well, if this is not me, then who am I, Right it kind of creates a void uh, within ourselves. So that's exactly what happened to me in the mountains. I thought, okay, well, if I'm not here to climb this mountain, you know, this mountain was so entrenched as part of me because I wanted, you know, I had this dream since I was, since I was a kid. And then, you right. know, suddenly that was gone. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's happening here? You know, who am I? And, you know, is there something else that's opening for me, right? If this door is closing, is there something else that perhaps is opening um, and I didn't know what that was at the time, but, but because I was hunkering down in that little village, I started connecting with a lot of the locals and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and one local in particular, his name was, um, Sonam Dorje. And Sonam Dorje, he told me about, actually, it's funny because he had left the village when he was 14 years old. Um, he had to, he left and, and he had to travel all the way down to India to get an outside education. Um, and he hadn't been back to his village in seven years. Uh, seven years, he hadn't seen his parents or his home or anything. And our paths just happened to cross at that exact moment. So we, um, Sanam Dorje and I, we ended up taking like these walks, like these daily walks together and we became friends and, and, um, and yeah, just kind of, he would share with me about the plight of the village, how hard it was to survive out there. Um, he'd share with me about, you know, Tibetan Buddhism. He'd share with me about like 
you know, just how the village is, it's just, it's kind of crumbling from the inside. You know, anyone with money would leave, um, you know, the, any, anyone who's like sick or, or, or old, a lot of them just end up dying in their own homes. Um, the children, by the time they're five or six years old, they have to start working hard labor in the fields. Um, some of the girls, when they're like 15 years old, they start having families and their own kids. And, you know, so just a totally different life. Right. And, um, so as he was telling me this over days, I, I started kind of questioning, like, why am I, why am I so stressed about something that actually doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things? You know? Right, <laughs> right, right. So you, you've you've coming from Canada, from a, from a good upbringing, right? Um, you know, done well all your life, and then you you take this trip, and then you you meet these people in this village who seemingly, well, like not even seemingly that the things that you're worried about are no concern to them. Right. I mean, we're talking about people that, that live for their, for, for their needs and not mm. luxuries and wants. Right. And I think you, earlier you said a lot of them were like nomads as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's, it's pure survival out there. I mean, it's, it's just, they're, you know, they're not, um, you know, if you imagine Maslow's sort of hierarchy of needs, right. We're talking about self-actualization and, you know, who am I and all these things, am I doing the right thing? And, but they're, they're trying to just, you know, especially at that time, things have changed, you know, over the years a little bit, but um, especially at that time, they're just trying to, you know, get the next, har- are, are they going to have a next harvest? Are they going to have enough, you know, food? Is there going to be a landslide that takes out something? You know, it's like they're, um, yeah, it's full on survival out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then it sounds like maybe you start thinking about, uh, you know, wow, I'm blessed. What, you know, what am I, is, is this like you said? Is, does this matter in the grand scheme of things? It sounds like you you had a, it was a, somewhat of a spiritual experience. For know, sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's it's kind of an outward journey, right? We were obviously you know we're out there, we're we're you know over multiple days, we're trekking into these valleys and places. Um, but you know, through that outward journey, it actually opened up a very deep inner place within me. And right. and like, exactly to your point, I mean, it just kind of opened new thoughts and, and new kind of realizations and, and new spaces within myself. I didn't even know were there. And I, I thought, okay, well, there's, you know, everything inside me may want to be climbing this mountain, but everything outside of me is kind of sending me a different message. And like, maybe I should listen to that. And maybe I should trust in this unfolding of events, you know, right. because these, this unfolding of events is, is stronger than my own will. So, you know, what, does it make sense Right? Does it make sense to keep forcing something that doesn't make sense? Right. Right. And then, as as those events take place, and and obviously, it seems like what your your dream was is not going to happen. Did you have this moment where you thought, "Wow, like I, I'm not in control. Something or, or something else is in control." Right. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and you just have to let it go. Right. You just have to let the. I don't know how it's going to end. Like, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know why I was there anymore. But I'm like, you know what? I just have to let it all go. And I just have to be here in this moment and just, you know, I'm here with the one I love and my friends and in this magnificent place and, and we're, we're alive here and we're enjoying it. I, I'm just going to like let everything else go. Wow. And how about your wife? You know, she was there with you. What what was she going through? Obviously, you know, she was supporting you and, and everything. And I'm sure she held you up. But what does she deal with on a, on a personal level? Yeah, no, that, that's that's a good question, too, because she she had her own journey. And she, and, you know, Chantal, she's um, she's been suffering from debilitating migraine attacks uh, since she was a teenager. Um, and so and she didn't know it at the time, but 
years later, she discovered actually it's it's kind of a nervous system response, um, you know, a stress response when her nervous system is too elevated. The migraine is almost like a fail safe switch that kind of shuts her body down um, and forces her to just like be in a room, a dark room with, you know, not doing anything. Um, wow. So she'd been dealing with that for, you know, off and on for years. And and she got hit with one like really badly in, in the mountains, um, you know, a few days as we were heading in there and, and, uh, and, and, and it put the entire trip at jeopardy. I mean, you know, we didn't know, I didn't know if, you know, are we going to have to turn around, you know, is this over? Um, you know, I didn't want her to go down by herself, obviously. So I thought, um, I thought maybe that's it for me. Right. Like what, <laughs> like it was this whole obstacle of like, okay, you know, is, is this, is this the end of, of, of my journey before I'm even going to see the, you know, the, the people on the mountain and all of that. Cause that's, that, that you know, happened before we got there, but, um, but yeah, so that was a whole other, you know, side journey and, and she got herself through that. But, um, wow. but that was another process of kind of the letting go, right? Like maybe, you know, I was going through my mind in that time, like I thought, well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe this is it. I mean, this is farther in the Himalaya than I've ever gone before. And maybe this is as far as I'm mm. supposed to get right now. And, um, and that would be it. And that would be fine. And then just sort of accept that. Right. Okay. Okay. So you you met the guy that you became friends with. He was giving you, you know, the backdrop story of the the village and the history of, of, of everything happening at that time. Um, where did you go from there? Yeah. So well, <laughs> so we there's two villages in this valley. One is called Fu. That's where we were, and the other one's called Nar. And Nar, we would not, or at least I would not have gone to had I tried to climb the mountain. I was my plan was to split off from the team and then go to the mountain and then maybe reconvene back in in Kathmandu in the capital city. But because I didn't climb the mountain, it kind of afforded us an extra couple of days to spend in this other little village called Nar. And um, and so we get there and we learn that there's this little stone school, um, and everything I'd learned from Sanam Dorje, that that you know that guy there, uh, I thought we should go see what's happening there. Maybe, maybe there's hope for some children out here, you know, with this outside education. And, and so we get to the stone school and all the kids had, they were out in this courtyard. They'd pulled their benches out because the classrooms are too dark and there's, you know, they're cold, but, but, you know, they were out in this, in the light and the warmth of the sun. And at the front of the class was this little girl, seven-year-old girl um, teaching English numbers and, um, and, you know, I just thought, wow, okay, that's not something you see all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she was teaching to this group of 17 kids and, and, uh, and just, you know, with such confidence and poise and like passion. And, and I thought, wow, okay. And then we found the real teacher and he's kind of looming in the back. And, and he told us he had felt like he had been banished to the end of the earth because he was far away from his own family and people like two weeks away and, and he had been wow. sent there to teach these kids. Uh, the school, like maybe, scratched the surface of grade one, but um, but he was there, and, and but he was, you know, just not really enjoying being there. And um, and so um, so the kids then they, but while they were having this conversation, the kids uh, they saw this guitar that was slung over our musician's shoulder, and uh, and they never saw a guitar before, you know, let alone heard one. So you could tell that they were kind of eager for the for Michael, our musician to teach them some music. And, and so Michael's an entertainer. So he got in there and starts teaching them this uh, jazzed up rendition of, 
of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and which was in itself like a whole, that's <laughs> kind of a beautiful thing because I'm like, Michael, you know, why don't you just teach them the original version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? <laughs> you know, I saw Michael on your website, man. I remember seeing him on your website. Yeah. <laughs> He's got all these melodic twists and stuff and I can't, I can't like impersonate it, but it's like <laughs> Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> you know, Put a little jazz on it, a little spice to it, huh? That's right. <laughs> and so oh, but the kids like like they just got right into it. They were like catching on and um right. and uh and and so they were having this beautiful experience. But then the teacher he kind of got gets like you know, he got some some motivation and and he brought out this this drum, this little Nepali drum, and he wanted the kids to dance in front of us one at a time. And he started with this little girl, um, this little seven-year-old girl who was teaching so confidently. He he told her, he's like almost in a very commanding voice. He's like, you know, dance, you know, dance for these people. And you could just see her like crumbling. Um, she just kind of was petrified and didn't know what to do. And, you know, almost looked like she was going to start internally crying or something. Um, and so Chantal couldn't take it. And she just sort of marched up there next to this little girl and started doing her best impression of, um, of this Nepali dance, <laughs> you know, her, her arms waving around and <laughs> not that Chantel knows how to do a traditional Nepali dance, but, but, um, but the little girl, she kind of like forgot everybody watching and she just, all the, all her focus was on Chantal and the two of them. It was so beautiful. Honestly, like the two of them were just dancing there in their own world. Like these two little spirits kind of, you know, before these 7,000 meter peaks and, and um, yeah. And that's kind of what the spark that sort of, connected these you know us to and the little girl we 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 learned her name is karma and um and so it kind of like opened this this relationship this kind of almost karmic relationship um and so that that was kind of the spark that did it but over the following years you know the whole story is about um you know how we've kind of grown our lives together uh to the backdrop of karma's village there and to you know the, the sort of bustling Kathmandu and and then to the modern world over here and and trying to you know work with their parents and figure out okay well, what's the best way forward for for these two little girls uh, Karma and her sister Pemba um, you know what's the best way forward to to give them the tools for choice um, for more choice in their lives you know so that uh, you know the modern world's encroaching in, the, in their village as we speak but um, you know how do you prepare these two little girls um, to have choice. You know, and not lose touch with who they are, like not to lose touch with their cultural values. Um, right, right. So that was re really important to us as well and to their parents. So, 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 yeah, it's been kind of this beautiful relationship of, um, you know, co-parenting with their parents and their father, father and mother are very, they're very wise, very loving parents. And uh, I mean, you know, their mother's a, a farmer, their father's a yak herder. Um, so they're very much in the village, but, um, but they kind of, Actually, it's funny. Their father said to me once, he said two things. He said, one, he never wants their daughters to lose touch with who they are, um, never lose touch with, with, their, with their Tibetan sort of culture. Um, but he said, on the other hand, he's like, he just feels they can move so much farther and faster under, you know, with the help of Chantal and me. And it's just like, wow, okay, you know, that, how do we, yeah, how do we work together as four parents coming together, just trying to do our best for these two mm -hmm. little girls from the mountains there? Right, right. So, so how do you do that? What, what, what have you all done uh, to co-parent to to give them the the best experience, as you said, um, but at the same time them not forgetting about their culture where they come from? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a journey for sure. Like to be to be sure, like it's been a long journey over years. And and you know, Chantal and I going back to Nepal every eight to ten months, and and kind of you know <clears throat> um, taking them on little trips. Uh, you know, sometimes just the girls, sometimes with their family, just seeing more of Nepal, more of the world, like opening the world, right? You know, because their radius before that was just like the, their little village there. I mean, Karma had never seen a bicycle before. You know, she had left the village, so things like that. Um, but we, you know, we were able to get them into this um, this school in Kathmandu. It's a boarding school, um, but it was started by this high-ranking Lama who fled Tibet in the 1950s, and and that's a whole other story. But like um, that school was specifically started for these Himalayan children in this upper Himalayan belt who fall through the cracks because they're just so far out there and they just get forgotten about. So he started the school for these kids and there's 500 kids there. And, and so we were able to get Karma and Pemba in there. And, um, and so, yeah, so at least they have that, you know, the kind of that secular education, but as part of that education, they also foster the Tibetan language and the Dharma classes and meditation, which is really important because that's sort of culturally again, aligned with them. Um, but yeah, so there, so there's that. And, and I remember we went back in, uh, in 2017, um, because Nepal just kept getting hammered, you know, year after year with something. They had, you know, the devastating earthquakes in 2015, where thousands of people were killed and hundreds of thousands of people displaced and, you know, schools closed and all that. Uh, they had constitution yeah. issues and, and um, you know, riots in the streets and those that sort of thing. And, um, and even, um, you know, very caste driven. So, um, Nepal is actually mostly Hindu in the in the in the main centers, whereas where the girls are from, they're kind of more Tibetan. So they're they're actually considered lower on the caste, you know. So they, they there's there is rise for racial discrimination um, over there, and just because of the way they look and their name, even by name, they can tell where they're from, and and so um, so that was something too. We were like, okay, well, can we? can we help give them more tools in, in life so that they don't get sort of caught up in that? Right. Um, and so in 2017, right. we took the girls back to their village and the parents actually expressed some interest in the girls seeing where we're from. Uh, can they come to North America potentially for a, for an education exchange? Um, and I thought, wow, well, you know, I mean, the, <laughs> I knew it was almost impossible to get student visas to come to North America for Nepalese. Um, okay. But, um, but I thought, you know, we can make it, we can try and make it happen and, um, and, and, and see if we can get the student visas. And, and we were able to get the student visas and, and they ended up living with Chantal and I here for a year. Um, you know, so that was a, kind of an eye opening experience. Their minds expanded, our minds expanded through their, I mean, it was just a, I mean, we became parents overnight. Like it was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how, how old were they when they came? Uh, 10 and 14. 10 and 14. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, one of my questions for you, Michael, and, and like you said, you became parents overnight. And, and I, I can only imagine even going back to uh, the mountain, you know, having to deal with fear. And, and then then you, you your, your life takes a shift and you, you begin this co-parenting journey. Right. Um I mean, obviously, I would think a lot of unknowns, a lot of fears. What type of fears, what type of things did you have to deal with and, and how did you have to act on them? What did you do to to uh, to stick to your plan, your goal and, and, and to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, that that's yeah, that, that's it's very interesting because I, I never like I was always just trying trying. I always wanted to do the right thing. I just I was always afraid, you know, what if I don't do the right thing? And, you know, what if um 
I, I always kind of look at, uh, you know, I don't know, for some reason I look at the girls and I say, well, you know, I always want them to be sort of, I don't know if this is the right word, but I always want them to be proud of, of who I am. Right. Like I don't, right. I never want them to, to look at me and, and, and not kind of look up to me, you know, in a way. So I just always wanted to make sure, you know, whatever Chantal and I were doing, is it in alignment with what their parents would like? Is it in alignment with, you know, kind of doing the right thing for them? Like, and, and we're still having those conversations, right? I mean, I guess, I mean, you know this better than I do. You know, like with kids, you never stop asking those questions, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest things is like, well, what are we doing here? Like, you know, but then non-action is um, is also an action, right? So, so yeah, it's just kind of, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a, just a fascinating journey of, of just opening our, our lenses you know, trusting in that opening of, of, of events and, and, um, and, and kind of trying to take the blinders off, like, you know, knowing that I, I, I don't know everything and, and, and trying to like, you know, I don't want to perpetuate things that I may be doing that might have a, you know, an adverse effect on, on them. And so trying to learn from them and, and learn what's the best way for them and, you know, not try to lead with expectation, right. Trying to be more in the, in kind of the now, because, I mean, in North America, we tend to lead a lot with expectation. Like we have this yeah. expectation sometimes for our entire life and, you know, trying to build a blueprint plan around it. But, but there it's, it's not like that. So, you know, so again, like how do you, how do you guide the girls in the right way that, and, and help work with their parents where it, it, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's in their best interest. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very, you know, very hard question to answer and you just kind of have to go with it at times. But um but yeah, we've just been trying to do our best as, as we're as we're going along here. Yeah, you guys have obviously been doing a great job, man. That that is that is great, and you amazing humanitarian, right? Uh, those girls, man, I know they mean the world to you. And uh, when you think about the impact they've made on both you and your wife's life, what what are some of the the things that come to mind? What has this experience taught you? You know, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, a lot of it. Yeah, I, know it's um, I know it's been a journey for, yeah, for some, yeah. you know, so I don't know if it's one thing specific, but just, you know, like, wow, you know, this this experience is just I, boom, done, done it for me. I, I yeah, I, I think, yeah, to your point, like I, I had no idea that a, a human connection like this was possible, um, you know, that I could feel this way about these two little beautiful souls. And that, you know, we could create this familial connection, um, choose to create this familial connection with each other um, over the years. Like, I, I had no idea that, that that was what life could be, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like the same connection that I would have with my own daughters. We don't have our own kids, but like, that's kind of the feeling that I would have. And, yeah. and I didn't know that that was possible. Um, so I think that's one of the one of the big things, just this idea of, of human connection on that level. And, and, uh, and then a lot of it comes, has come out in the details as well. Like, um, you know, I'll give you an example. One time when they were here, um, I remember we were kind of late for this event or something or an activity. And, and I was saying, you know, girls, we got to get our jackets. We got to get our shoes on. We got to go, you know, we're late. And, and Pemba, she was, I think she was 10 or 11 at that time. She put her hand on my, on my arm. She said, you know, Mike, if we were to behave like this in my village, everyone would think that we're sick. 
So you know what? You're you're right. You know, let's just calm down. Let's just breathe. It's it's all gonna be good. It's just like uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so wow. So just things like you know, kind of like these different ways of of seeing things. I guess um, different ways of of being and. Um, and yeah, and practicing that, um, I think has been huge. And then, and then kind of, again, you know, like we talked about kind of putting myself more in their, in their shoes around this idea again of, of, of sort of, um, of expectations. I, I think there's a lot of judgment we'd have for other, for others and, uh, and, and judgment we place sometimes on ourselves. Right. And I think one of the things they've mm -hmm. taught me, or one of the things I've learned through, through the girls is just, just to go gentle, you know, just to not get caught up in, in these end goals or end expectations or, or just, um, you know, that, that whether it's for ourselves or for each other, I think the best thing we can do is just sort of support each other in our own journeys that tend to, yeah. to try not to like, you know, have this idea of what somebody should be or should be doing or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Well said, man. How old are the girls now? Uh, they're just turn so Carmen's just turned or is just turning seventeen and and Pemba just turned thirteen. <laughs> wow! wow. Are they are they currently with you now or are they they're with their? Uh, yeah, no, they so they they were here pre COVID and then they went back to the exchange ended. They went back to Kathmandu uh, to the school there, and then COVID hit, and then hmm. and then and then the school had to close, and then they went back to their village. Um, so that, yeah. that's been another fascinating thing is just eye opening. I mean, seeing how they've experienced COVID is totally different yeah. than how most people I know are experiencing COVID over here in North America. Right. Um, you know, yeah. they went back to their village. I remember they, they have a cell phone tower now in the village since, you know, we went there the first time. So we could communicate at that time. And, um, and I remember they called me one day and they said, Mike, you know, they were trying to bring the goats, their goats in. And um, they came around this corner um, and they, there was this snow leopard that had grabbed one of the goats and was taking it up the cliff. Wow. And, and so they said to me, um, you know, Mike, we were trying to like, they were scared, but they were trying to scare the snow leopard so that it would let go of the goat and, and the goat ended up dying in front of them. And I don't know, it was just like this wild thing. And they were just so, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, I could not have given you that experience over here. <laughs> <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I'm just thinking of other kids, um, you know, they were uh, neighbors, kids and stuff. They were inside during that time, maybe playing video games or whatever. And I'm just like, wow. You know, I remember hearing one day, um, you know, somebody said the best gift we can give kids is the gift of resilience. And I just thought, wow, you know, that that's like, I think that, the, the, the experiences that they're having are going to serve them in their futures in ways that we don't know, but I think it's going to be, be, be good. Right. I think it's going to be, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Good thing for them. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's great. That's great. So what's next for you, man? Obviously you have the, you have the book, which is a beautiful book. Do you, do you have another book on the way or, or what, what are your future plans? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, right now I've just kind of, um, I've got, you know, just have this one and, uh, getting it out there and, um, yeah, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's been a little bit more challenging with, but, you know, it's also had its silver linings as well because of podcasts and, and, you know, being able to connect with you, for example, it's just been, I don't know if that would have happened if we, you know, if we didn't have, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, that's kind of my focus right now. And, and I, 
I'd love to see the girls again. And, you know, Chantal and I, we've been talking about, you know, can we bring them here for a visit or can we visit there? Um, we just have to see how things open up here with uh, international travel and all that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. kind of, you know, trying to play by ear here. Right. Just so much going on in the world. I understand that, man. Uh, one thing, Michael, that I would uh, would love for you to do is uh, leave our audience, man, with what I like to call a, a token of love. Right. Something that they can take with them going forward, just based off your your life experiences. Yeah. Token of love, I would say. The more we can listen and tune into the language of the heart. Mm-hmm. the more we can just open up these beautiful experiences, um, you know, with each other, we can transcend the surfaces. We can transcend the surface differences. We can, we can connect with each other in a way that I think we're meant to. Um, so just listening to and acting on the language of the heart. Um, I mean, I just can speak from the experience again with these two girls. Like I would have never known that this connection was, was possible. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, we, you know, we could have, um, if I think back to that day at the school there, right? Mm-hmm. Like we could have just um, all gone our own ways. We could have just said, okay, you know, that was a beautiful Chantal and Karma. They had a little dance there. You know, that was all good. And, you know, we could have just gone our separate ways, um, but we didn't, right? We listened to that language of the heart. We, we kind of, you know, saw where that would go. And, and we had the courage, right? Um, courage to, to open that up. And, and I think the more we do that, the more we can, we can um, you know, create these beautiful experiences here on, on earth. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that, man. And where can people uh, buy your book? Is it on Amazon? Can they get it through your website? Yeah. And tell, tell people your website, if you would, please. And if you have any uh, social media. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, my website is just um, michaelshaw.com. So that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-C-H-A-U-C-H.com. And there you can learn more about the book. And uh, yeah, it's available at the bookstores or on Amazon. Um, yeah, I hope people enjoy the story. And it's uh it's an adventure story, but it's also a story of love and and um, and human connection. Great book, man. Great book. And hey, I want to once again thank you for uh, being with us here on the Hidden Gateway podcast. It's been a, a pleasure, man. You, you're a great storyteller with a beautiful story, man. Definitely wishing you lots of love uh, and peace uh, as you continue to step into doing what you do, man, your greatness. Thank you so much, Gaston. And I really appreciate what you're doing here. And, and thank you for hosting me here. And 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 just kind of putting this message out, I think it's really, really, perhaps more than ever needed, you know, in oh, today's yes, world. Yes, <laughs> yeah. sir. Well said. Well said. And to our audience, we really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Gateway podcast. Uh, remember, you can stay connected with us through the hiddengateway.com. Uh, you can chat with us as well on Instagram, Facebook, other social media platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And this will conclude this week's episode. Until next time, stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.